The scripture today is from the prophet Zephaniah, chapter 3, verses 14 through 20. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cast out your enemies. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall fear evil no more. On that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord, your God, is in your midst. A warrior who gives victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you. In his love, he will exult over you with loud singing as on the day of a festival. I will remove disaster from you so that you will not bear reproach for it. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors, and I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you home, at the time when I gather you together. Yea, I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth, when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Will you pray with me and for me now? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts find acceptance in your sight, Almighty Father. For you are our rock, and you are our Redeemer. Amen. So I asked you last week whose favorite book was Malachi. I got zero hands. I feel like I'll get less hands if I asked you about Zephaniah. We've, we've been reading the last couple of weeks in the Minor Prophets, uh, they're not minor because they're insignificant. The books are just short, so all 12 of them kind of get grouped together uh, in, uh, in the end of the Old Testament as we have it uh, in, in English. And Zephaniah is writing at a different time uh, than Malachi, who we talked about last week, and even than Jeremiah, uh, who, we, who we talked about a couple of weeks ago. As we've talked about these prophecies that help point us to understanding what happens when Jesus arrives in Bethlehem. Zechariah, I mean, Zephaniah is preaching and, and prophesying during Josiah's reign, just before Jeremiah is prophesying, when Jeremiah, you'll remember, was prophesying, right as the people of Israel are getting taken away into exile. So Zephaniah is a little bit before that, and Josiah is the last reformer of the kings of Israel. Uh, when, when we get Zephaniah's genealogy, it takes him back to Hezekiah, who might not be very important to you, but Hezekiah and Josiah were the two good kings. After a bunch of bad kings, they're the two that try to lead Israel back to their faithfulness towards God 
and their faithfulness as the people of Israel that God has called them to be a peculiar kind of people. And Zephaniah, as Josiah is making these reforms, is, teach, is telling Israel what's going to happen if they don't listen. The first three and a half chapters of the book are filled with, with woes primarily. The first, the first half of those woes are towards Jerusalem and Israel, and the second half are towards the neighboring nations who also are under the Lord's judgment for the things that they've done to Israel. Israel has gone astray and the, the nations around them have treated them poorly, and Zephaniah is speaking judgment over all of them. He says that the Lord is going to sweep away all of, these, uh, all of these tribes and people. And he keeps talking about this phrase, the day of the Lord. And he talks about it in a way that makes it terrifying. And then, in these last few verses of his prophecy, the day of the Lord becomes good news. At the end of this prevailing message about the day of the Lord is this command to rejoice and sing and shout with praise to God. Be happy, rejoice, celebrate, delight in the Lord, praise God, he says. The third Sunday of Advent is a celebration of joy. The Latin word is gaudate. You don't have to remember that. But we light the pink candle. The candle, the week that we remember oftentimes the Magnificat, the, uh, the song that Mary sings when she says, uh, my soul magnifies the Lord. Even in the midst of a season of preparation, in the midst of a season where we try to prepare our souls for the arrival of the Lord, we remember that that day comes not just with judgment, but with joy with real joy of the work that the Lord is going to do for his people. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how we need a Savior, and the Savior is certainly coming. Last week, we talked about how it's, it's somewhat on us to prepare for the Savior. John the Baptist comes to make clear the way of the Lord before Jesus arrives. And this week, there's the call to rejoice to shout and sing, to exult in God who's coming. But after what we've talked about over the last couple of weeks, you might ask, how are we supposed to rejoice in the midst of difficulties and suffering and pain and grief and loss? I'm glad you asked. How are we supposed to rejoice when our bodies are weighed down with our own sin? How are we supposed to rejoice when we're living with the effects of other people's sins and the suffering that it's brought into our life? Where do we start if we want to rejoice? If we want to shout the praise of God? If we want to cry out to others about the faithfulness of God? Zephaniah gives us a list. He says, he's taken away the judgments against you. If you were in court and there were charges levied against you, They've been wiped away. He's taken away the judgments that have been offered against you. Your record is clean. You're no longer listed among the criminals. You are forgiven. He doesn't stop there. He says, the enemies that were opposed to you, that were attacking you, that were trying to bring you down and destroy you, the Lord has turned away. 
He's taken away the judgments against you. He's turned away your enemies, and you no longer have anything to fear. You don't have to be afraid of disaster. You don't have to be afraid of evil, because the king of justice and righteousness is in your midst. That's what Zephaniah says. The Lord is with you. The judgments have been taken away, and your enemies have been turned away, so that you are free to live in peace and wholeness. And then he uses this kind of strange phrase. He says, on the day of the Lord, don't let your hands droop. Don't let your hands get tired. And this this phrase was used to describe what happens when you're absolutely terrified. Because if you're just a little bit afraid, you might lift up your hands ready to fight, right? Or if you're excited, you might lift up your hands ready to praise. But if you're terrified and don't know what to do, and you're entirely disempowered and weak with no defense. Nothing to offer. If you have something to offer, you'll hold out your hands. But instead, they just fall to your side. You're unable to fight. You're unable to embrace. You're unable to do anything with your hands at your side. And all of this would be enough to demand our praise of God. He's turned away our enemies. He's set us free from his judgment. He has offered us restoration. All of that would be enough. Freedom from condemnation and oppression. Complete and utter safety in the midst of the Lord's presence, the Lord's righteousness, the Lord's justice. But if we stop there, we undersell what Zephaniah has to offer. Because the commands that he gives to Israel at the beginning of the passage, to rejoice, to sing, to shout, these are the very things that God is going to do over Israel too. God isn't just going to stabilize them and keep them safe and forgive them to take away the bad things. God's going to do abundantly more than they could ask for or imagine. As he starts, shout out your praise, sing forth your delight of the Lord, exult in him. In verse 17, those are the things that God begins to do to Israel. God is going to rejoice over his people with gladness. God is going to give them new life in his love. God is going to let them rest in his love. And then he's going to shower praises upon them in song. You know, in in most weddings that you've been to, I would imagine that the husband is down the aisle first and waits for his bride. And when the bride arrives, everyone in the church does what? All rise, right? And the music starts triumphantly, and the bride comes in in her radiant garment of white, walking in. And the beloved husband and all the church is upon her. At the end of all things, this is what the Lord says will happen with Christ and his church. That Christ will be the bridegroom, that the church will be the bride, that God will gaze on his beloved in all of her radiant beauty and love her and delight in her. 
You're beautiful. You delight me. I praise you and sing my praises over you so that everyone else can hear. God doesn't just want to save us from the bad things. God doesn't just want us to praise and worship and rejoice in Him, to exult in praise over Him. God wants to do that over us, to find delight in us. He's going to heal the lame. He's going to take those who've been cast out, who've been kicked out, who've been rejected and sent away, and He's going to gather them all back in together. Everyone who didn't belong is going to find their place. He's going to take what was their shame, what left them separated from everyone else and everyone gossiping about them, and he's going to turn it into praise. He's not just going to make them not embarrassed anymore, not embarrassed to show up or to show their face to others. He's going to make them radiantly beautiful. The whole world that's been gossiping about your failures is going to be buzzing about your glory. He's going to restore his people's fortunes before their very eyes. There's a terribly annoying song called, I'm going to be. And the chorus, if I say it, is going to be stuck in your head for the rest of the day. I'm going to do it anyway. I would walk 500 miles, and I would walk 500 more just to be the man who walked 1,000 miles to fall down at your door. And sometimes I think that's how we think about our relationship with God. That we've got to find him, that we've got to seek him out, that we've got to go a thousand miles and do whatever it takes to uncover God. That we've got to prove our love to him. That we've got to be the one who walks a thousand miles to fall down at his door. And make no mistake, <coughs> excuse me, God is worth that kind of effort. But God does the unthinkable. God doesn't just go a thousand miles for us. He goes from the heavenly realm to an earthly stall laying in a manger, a feed trough in Bethlehem. From the courts of the Lord to the house of a carpenter. He stops at nothing to save you. He becomes your knight in shining armor. The one who goes great lengths to deliver you from every peril and enemy. But not just so that you'll no longer be in danger. That's just the prelude to the wedding. He's not just the superhero who prevents the destruction of the earth. It's not just a superhero story. It's a love story. Not of our love for God, but God's love for us. Because God loves us, and he delights in us. God loves you, and God delights in you. He wants to write poems about his love for us. He wants to gaze into your eyes or let your head fall onto his shoulder where you know you are safe and at home and beloved. He's going to take the church as his bride and carry us across the threshold into the beauty of the wedding banquet where we can sit at the Lord's table. We don't serve a small God. We shouldn't forget that. He doesn't just save us from evil. He brings us into communion with himself 
And he finds us delightful. And that's worthy of rejoicing in. Because a lot of times I don't feel like I delight the Lord. Like I bring joy to God. But if we believe the scriptures, that's who God is for us. He finds us delightful. He rejoices in us. He makes us worthy of his own love. So let us praise God. Let us delight in him. Let us shout his praises with exultation louder than groupies at a rock show or the best home crowd at the most exciting football game. Let us delight in his victory. Let us also not lose sight of the way that God is going to incorporate me and you into that victory. Because the God of the universe looks at you and sees the star of the show. The King of glory delights in you. We learn how to praise God because of the way that he praises us. We learn to love God because of the way that he has already loved us. We learn to delight in God because he already delights in us. God wants you. God thinks you're beautiful and desirable, and he is going to go to any length to save you. May we praise the Lord in the light of that truth. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that the truth of your gospel would sink into our bones today. That in whatever ways we feel unworthy, in whatever ways we feel unlovable, in whatever ways we feel shame, whatever ways we feel like we don't belong, like we've been cast out or pushed aside, that your love would heal us and bring us in and take our shame and turn it into praise such that even the heavenly hosts, the angels and the archangels could turn towards us, the church as your bride, and admire our beauty. Give us the grace and the faith that we need to believe that that can be true based on your work for us, that by your love we might be redeemed, that by your love our station might be brought high, that by your love we might know what it is to be desired and delighted in. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.